0: Before we jump into our teaching time this morning, we're going through a study of some of the obscure kings of the Old Testament, we want to remind you once again, this might begin to be ad nauseum, but at least you won't forget, we want to remind you about the new schedule that's coming out, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after on August the 20th, and I know you got these in, I think, in magnet form last week, so hopefully they're on your refrigerators, but everything's changing schedule-wise on August the 20th. And we just don't want you to be surprised or miss it. Uh, so we're going to just to, kind of continue to ram that message home this week and next week. So try to have a little bit of fun with it this morning. Watch the screen if you would. One of the things that I know I'm good at is making pancakes. So I've been doing a pancake party at my house for a few hundred people the Saturday before Christmas and Tom would like me to take that one talent that I have and bring it to Greentree. I've been attending the 9 o'clock service forever and that is where my dearest friends who are like family to me, that's when they attend. So they are moving to the 8 o'clock service which I will do along with them. We're excited about attending the new Families Fellowship class at 9.30 and then worship at 11. Our two and four year old will enjoy more time in the children's programs. Meanwhile we can get an additional hour as a couple meeting parents in the same life stage and we also are looking forward to gaining some biblical parenting advice. The body of Christ surrounding my family and everything that they've done that this church has done for me over these years has been incredible and I just love giving back. I love serving Greentree through pancakes. We're excited to be team teaching the 1st and 2nd graders at 11 o'clock. And we're going to be really excited to see what he's going to do through us. This is the first time we're going to be doing it and um, we're just thrilled and so we're going to be with your kiddos and we're looking forward to it. Well I'm excited for August 20th because over the last year and a half the singles at Green Tree have developed friendships with each other. We've had a lot of fun and we have begun to form a community so now we're going to have our own Sunday school class meet weekly and we'll be able to grow in our faith and pray for each other and continue to develop those friendships so there's a lot of us out there and I'm hoping many more green tree singles will join us on August 20th we're looking forward to the changes in the fall because we like to worship with our kids we're going to be trying out the 8 a.m. service and going to the family fellowship um, afterward I just want to make you guys pancakes this fall we're doing a lot of different things. New worship service, new Sunday school, new ministries. The question is not so much what are we doing, but what will you do to make room to grow this fall? So So somebody said to me, "Now let me get this straight. We're getting rid of the donuts and Dinkoffs making pancakes every Sunday." Let me clarify. On August the 20th, before the 8 o'clock service, Mike is making pancakes. So, I'd like for you to come over early, have some pancakes, although I'm thinking maybe we should just have him do it all morning so that everybody can enjoy some of That might be a better David. does that sound like a better idea? I'll, I'll run that by him and see what he says. Well, he's not here. Let's just vote. How many people want Mike to make pancakes all morning? Good. There you go. Democracy in action. Perfect. We'll let him know that. Um, uh, I want to say... Uh, one thing uh, serious about this, what we're, in effect, doing is, by adding a third service is, is we're literally creating about 400 extra chairs, right? So we're going from two services to three. Uh, and actually, it's a little more than that because that would assume that we completely fill every chair both services. Um, so this is not just an opportunity for us to have a little bit more room. It's an opportunity for us to reach out to our community. It's an opportunity for us to invite friends, to invite family members, folks that may be curious about faith but don't have a church home, people that maybe have been burned by church in the past, and they're, they're a little skeptical, folks that uh, have never even stopped to really consider what God uh, might mean in their life. So it, it's not just that we're a little bit crowded. And we want to be able to spread out a little bit. and We want to offer a little bit more teaching. Clearly that's part of it. But uh, on a very serious note, we, we now will have room to continue to share the gospel with others. And so we want to take advantage of that. And then one disclaimer, Steve Hughes, in his sermon last week, used Tom Ricks and Nimble in the same sentence. And I don't want to be accused of false advertising, so you should never use Tom Rickson nimble in the same sentence. I'm not exactly sure. He said I would be more, uh, more, uh, I'd be funnier at eight o'clock, which is hard to believe. Um, but and but then you use the word nimble. Do you remember that? So, I mean, I. There you go. Truth all around. There you, there you have it. If uh, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Isaiah 39. We're going to read a couple of verses there. But I'll warn you this morning: the king uh, about whom we're going to be uh, listening and hopefully learning is King Hezekiah. He's the third from the left down on the lower section there. And his story is a very thorough story in the Old Testament. Uh, besides uh, Saul and David and Solomon, there's more written about Hezekiah than almost all the other kings put together. And his story is in several chapters of 2 Kings, in several chapters of 2 Chronicles, and in several chapters of Isaiah. So we are going to be bouncing all over the map today. And usually when I preach, uh, I I might occasionally read off the screen, but most of the time I read out of my Bible. But today I am going to have to follow the screen uh, because we're just going to kind of take bits and pieces from several aspects of Hezekiah's life. Have you ever had the feeling that trusting God wasn't quite paying off? Have you ever had the feeling of, you know, what, Lord, I have, a, I have a pretty deep faith in you, but things aren't quite working out the way that I had expected. Things are a little bit more difficult. Uh, there's more disappointment in my life. There's more hardship in my life than I bargained for. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that when I put my faith in you, you said that you would take care of everything and kind of, you know, I'm holding up my side of the deal, but, uh, but where are you? Uh, A lot of us probably watched Kurt Warner get uh, into the Hall, be inducted in the Hall of Fame yesterday. And there's an article this morning, they talked about it again yesterday, about uh, when he got cut from the Green Bay Packers and he found himself back in Cedar Falls, Iowa, working for $5.50 an hour, uh, and nobody would touch him. And he was living in the basement of his girlfriend's parents' house. Think about that for a minute. You're about at the bottom If you're living in your girlfriend's parents' basement, you have her dad every day looking over your shoulder, wondering what you're doing, right? You can only imagine that there were moments where he, who was a, Kurt Warner is a very vocal about his faith. It's like, Lord, are you, are you here? We've all probably had those kinds of moments. What we're going to see in Hezekiah's life this morning is that most of the time, He was a man of deep faith. He stumbled, and we're going to look at where he stumbles. But most of the time, he had a deep, abiding faith in God. But he also lived during times that were very, very difficult. He experienced some very daunting circumstances in his life. He was born into a a kingdom that had forsaken God. He was born into the overall nation of Israel and in the royal family of Judah. And he is supposed to be leading this kingdom... To love God, and they've completely turned their back on God. So, one of his goals, which seems almost like it's an insurmountable mountain to climb, is to bring the entire nation to repentance and to bring the entire nation back to a right relationship with God. The second problem they had, because they were a small kingdom, is they've been run over by a larger nation called Assyria. And his second goal was to get out from under the thumb of Assyria, to regain sovereignty and independence. And as I said, most of his life, as, as we'll talk about this morning, as Scripture will talk about and we'll look at, was lived by faith. But most of his life was also very, very difficult. There were setbacks. There were struggles. And I'm quite certain he was tempted to say, God, why, why haven't you made my pathway smoother? I think as you hear some of his story this morning, you might think the same thing too. You know, why, why was his life at times so difficult? But I really believe when we ask that question, what we're asking is, why is my life so difficult? <laughs> God, if i put my trust in you, are you really there? It, it, can I really have a faith that is, that is true and genuine? Because a lot of this stuff doesn't seem to be adding up to two and two equaling four, right? So you think of somebody who is very confused about the circumstances of their life. You think of the karate kid in Danielson, right? All right. And there's Mr. Miyagi, and he's standing up, and he's, he's in Daniel's son's face. And look at how his shoulders are slumping, his head's cocked over the side, he's exhausted, right? Because all Mr. Miyagi has been doing is what? Paint the fence, right? Wax on the car, wax off the car, scrub the floor. All he's been doing is these menial tasks, day after day, hour after hour, week after week, and he's finally fed up and says, this doesn't make any sense, right? And I'm guessing that there are times in your life, I know there are times in my life where I say that to God, God, I'm exhausted. I don't think I have any more faith. And by the way, I'm not sure this is working out the way it was intended. So maybe there's a lesson here from the life of Hezekiah. Isaiah chapter 39, verses five through eight. These are verses that we'll actually come back to again at the end of the sermon. Then Isaiah, the prophet said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, The days are coming when all that is in your house and that which is your father's have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To Him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, if we are honest, that's what we are looking for. Peace and security in our days. In our family. In in our business. In our classroom. In in our bank accounts. We are hopeful that uh, life will just be everything we expect it to be. And yet, Father, you promise us that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. You promise us that if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we will have life eternal, that our sins, every one of them, will be forgiven. And you promise to get us home safely. But in the meantime, Father, you also promise that there will be moments of great trial and challenge. So, Lord, it's not important for us to, to remember that again this, is, this morning. What's important is that we understand what your word says about how to enter into those challenges. So, Father, we pray that you would teach us. Hezekiah is not, he's not the Messiah. He's not, he, he's not the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But in his life, we can see your hand at work. And so we pray that you would teach us through what you did in the life of Hezekiah, that, that you would apply that to our hearts and our minds this morning here at Green Tree Community Church. Father, we come to hear your word, not my words. I pray that you would forgive me my sin through the Lord Jesus. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the summation of the sermon or sermon in a sentence goes like this. Untested faith might be faith, might be genuine faith. But then again, maybe not. God's lesson from the life of Hezekiah. What we're going to learn is uh, hopefully three things from the life of Hezekiah uh, that have to do with his faith and how God worked in his life, both in uh, when times when he was trusting God and in other times when he kind of fell to pieces and went the wrong way. I have three observations, and the first is this, the act of faith of repentance. As we said before, one of Hezekiah's goals was not only to, to repent himself, but to bring the entire nation to repentance. And so his first step in that process was to remove the idols from the land. Now, I'm not going to go back and spend time rehashing what the other pastors have taught about the idols. I've listened to all the sermons on podcasts, and I've really enjoyed learning from each of them. And you've heard week in and week out about the idolatry that was in Israel. And it's been uh, a good challenge for us from all of the pastors to say, and what about the idolatry in our lives? So Hezekiah was aware of this. He said, we got to get rid of these false objects of worship. So the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25, reigned for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars down, uh, broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. We see here that what is happening is Hezekiah is kind of putting feet to his faith. He's understanding that the first step in returning to the worship of God the true God, is to remove these objects of false worship. But it's not enough just to take something away and get rid of it. He also wants to usher in genuine worship of God. So not only does he remove the false idols, but he also reestablishes the notion that the king's role is to kind of be the first worshiper in all the nation. That he's to lead the way, that his life is to reflect the life of worship. In the same chapter, in 2 Kings, it says this, he trusted the Lord God of his excuse me he trusted the Lord the God of Israel so that there is none like him among all the kings of Judah after him nor among those who were before him he held fast to the Lord thus hezekiah did throughout all of Judah he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God and then over in 2nd Chronicles it says this and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law of the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. What he did was he refocused the nation's worship on the, in the temple in Jerusalem. That he he cleaned it out, literally cleaned it out of all the idols that were there. He literally, you know, had fresh paint put on the walls, so to speak. He got the house of God ready to worship. He understood that he needed to take the lead. That if he didn't worship God, there was no reason for anyone else to worship God. I want to go down a side road for just a second, although I don't think it's a direct correlation because I'm a pastor, not a king, and the folks who lead worship up here are instrumentalists and vocalists, not royalty. But it is our responsibility as leaders not to have you enamored with us, but to come here and worship God. The role of the pastor is to, is to point you to God, that you would worship God with your soul, with your heart, with your mind, with your intellect, and the same is true of our worship leaders. We're not here saying, look at us. We're here saying, look at Jesus. We're inviting you to come and to worship, and hopefully part of what we do will be a positive influence on the people of God when it comes to the worship of God. And Hezekiah understood that he was in a place of influence and he needed to exert that influence to set an example for other, te- other folks to worship. It's also why part of this new schedule gives you the opportunity, if you have younger children that are grade school age, you have the opportunity to, to bring them into worship, to let them experience worship. Not that they'll be able to do it on the same level as you as an adult, but they'll see you worshiping. They'll see your friends worshiping. They'll they'll see other folks worshiping, and it will stick, and it will be seeds planted in their hearts and in their minds so that as they grow older, they will understand worship. The corporate worship of God was something very important to my mom or my dad or my mom and my dad or my grandma, my grandpa, And, and hopefully our lives will reflect God's grace, and they'll be able to begin to put those things together. The king understood that he had a responsibility to worship God and to bring others to worship him. He also took it not only to, to understanding his role and not only removing the false idols, but he also got organized worship back on track. In Second Chronicles 29, it says, this, he brought the priests and the Levites and he said to them, Now the priests and the Levites were the, were the, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, but they'd all been unemployed. For a pretty long time because the kings that had come before them had put them out of business through false worship. So they had not been allowed to practice being priests and Levites. So somebody's got to get this group reorganized, get them reassembled to get them going in the right direction. Hezekiah doesn't assign that to somebody else. He does it himself. Hear me, Levites, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, and to make offerings to him. Then in chapter 30, verse 1, it says this. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters, also to Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are the tribes in the north that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hezekiah is taking active steps to bring the people to repentance and to the worship of God. All of these actions, removing the idols, being being the first worshiper, restoring organized worship to the nation of Israel, observing the Passover, all of this is active faith. All of this is an expression of turning back to God. And, and at this point in the story, you want to say, way to go, Hezekiah. Well done. You're not the Savior. You're not the Messiah, but but you're pointing the people in the right direction. And it would also make you wonder, what's God's reaction to this? Does God say, you know what, Hezekiah? Way to go. And we're all going to live happily ever after. You'll never have a problem again. Because if we're honest, that's kind of how we think about our relationship with God. If we're faithful and we trust him, then he's going to give us the good stuff, right? And he's going to protect us from from how we define bad stuff. And if we're truly honest, even those of us that are disciples of Jesus and have been disciples a long time, there's some of that always, I'll just say there's some of that always lurking in my mind. Okay. I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. There's always in the back of my mind, okay, Lord, what what are you going to do for me? How are you going to take care of me? And so we can kind of expect they live happily ever after, right? Because of Hezekiah's faithfulness. Well, actually what the Lord brings First and foremost is overwhelming danger. <laughs> if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, you'll read this. After these things, right, these acts of faithfulness, Hezekiah rode off into the sunset, right? Uh-uh. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the four to five cities, thinking to take them for himself, and he did. He captured all the fortified cities in Judah, and where we pick up the story in the next passage, they're surrounding Jerusalem. It's like the Alamo. There's a whole bunch of soldiers on the outside. There's just a few on the inside. In fact, one of the guys, I won't read this passage, but one of the generals that taunts Hezekiah says this, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you got 2,000 guys that you could put on them, and we'll have a fight. They don't even have 2,000 soldiers to guard Jerusalem, right? They are outnumbered, right? So now this guy, this general comes and he mocks Jerusalem. He mocks Hezekiah, he taunts the soldiers, and he mocks God. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Beware lest Hezekiah misleads you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? You see the, the taunt there that's going on. In Isaiah chapter 36, he he says it like this: Whom among the gods has delivered their lands that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? There's just this. This mocking of the God of Israel. And what God is doing in response to Hezekiah's faithfulness seems to be one word that we could possibly put with it, just from a human perspective, is abandonment. He's left them on his own. But if we look a little deeper and if we understand the word of God and how God works in our life, what what God is actually doing to Hezekiah is giving him a chance to go deeper in his faith to trust God more and more and more. Napoleon Hill, who was by no means a professing Christian, uh, he was a finance guy of, of the 18th and 19th century, century, said this, so I think it kind of fits. Opportunity often comes disguised in the form of misfortune or temporary defeat. Certainly Hezekiah was facing uh, potential defeat and he was surrounded, but perhaps there's something more here than just overwhelming danger. Perhaps the other side of the coin is that there is an unimaginable opportunity. There's a chance here for Hezekiah to truly live out what he claims to believe. In Isaiah chapter 37, Hezekiah has received the letter from the hand of the messenger. So all this taunting that's going on, all this mockery, they wrote it down. Just in case you forgot, Hezekiah, here's what we think of you. And they had the messenger delivered. So now he's got it in a letter form, right? He goes up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living god truly o lord the kings of assyria have laid waste to all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire for they were no gods but the work of men's hands of wood and of stone therefore they were destroyed so now o lord our god save us from the hand of all the kingdoms of the that the, all the kings of the earth may know that you alone are the lord What's hezekiah doing I'm going to put this in Tom Rick's vernacular, which is not going to do it justice, but but basically Hezekiah gets this letter, and he goes into the temple, and he opens it up before the Lord, and he says, Lord, you have a terrible PR problem on your hands right now, (laughs) and if I get wiped out, it's going to be an unmitigated disaster, because they're not, Sennacherib's not mocking me. He's mocking you. What do you think you might want to do about that? Now, again, Tom Rick's is putting that in very crass terms, but that's what's happening. Hezekiah is saying, Lord, I've put my faith in you, and, and, and here's what they're saying. Now, it's not like God didn't know that, but what God is, is, is seeing in Hezekiah is a heart of faith that doesn't say, well, now I better do something to make sure God's name's okay. I mean, how many times has Tom Ricks had that thought? I better speak up and say something, because if not, people are going to mock God as if God can't take care of himself, right? Doesn't mean I shouldn't speak up. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't be a witness for Christ. But God doesn't need my extra energy to, to push him over the top of any debate or, or any argument. And so Hezekiah comes and says, I just, I, I just thought you might want to read this, Lord. And I, and I just love that attitude about Hezekiah. But he doesn't stop there. The next thing he does is he goes out to the wall and he goes back and he speaks to the very soldiers who just heard this taunting of God. And he said, as he spoke to them, he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Or be dismayed before the king of Assyria and all that horde that is with him. For there are more with us than are with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. What you see here is Hezekiah having an active faith that he does it in the right order. He goes to the Lord and says, Lord, I I can't do anything about this. You're going to have to deal with this. This is is your battle. Then he goes to the people and he says, this is God's battle and we can put our faith in him. How many times do I fall short of that last statement? I can say it's the Lord's battle, but how many times do I say, and therefore my trust is going to be in him? The end result in this situation was God's deliverance of the people of Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 32, we read this, the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and the commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he was there in the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. What was God's response to Hezekiah? He delivered him the deliverance at that particular moment was a rescue from an army. Deliverance doesn't always look the same. We can't kind of put deliverance in a bottle and and put our definition on it. Only God does that. Only God decides how he will deliver. But ultimately, God delivers. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. Ultimately, God has delivered you from your biggest problem and me from my biggest problem. My biggest problem is sin and death And God's judgment, which leads me to hell for eternity. And God's wiped all of that away through the cross of Christ. And how do we respond to the cross? By working harder? No, by faith. And that's where Hezekiah got it right. He understood that he needed to put his faith in God. So you would think, now we asked earlier, okay, Hezekiah has done all these wonderful things. What's God's response? Well, God's response is, is to kind of bring a danger that actually is an opportunity. So Hezekiah's faith can grow. How does Hezekiah respond? That's a fair follow-up question, which leads me to my third observation. You think that Hezekiah's response would be perfect faith in God the rest of his life. I mean, you know, and we've been there before maybe where you say, God, if you'll just do this... I'm with you forever. I'll, I'll never quit on you. If you, just, if you just give me the right spouse to marry, I'm, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never give up faith. If you just give me the right career path, the right job, if you, if you fix my marriage now that I'm in with this particular spouse, I'll, I'll be with you all the rest of my life, right? We've prayed those kinds of prayers for How do you think Hezekiah is going to respond? Will he have perfect faith in God the rest of his life? My third observation here is two steps forward, one step back. Hezekiah, as he got older, Uh, and as his memory got a little fuzzy, Cindy bought me a t-shirt a few years ago. It said, the older I get, the better I was, right? You got to think about it for a second, right? But Hezekiah had that problem too. Hezekiah ended up struggling and failing uh, with his pride. And so after all all these wonderful things have happened, God has delivered him. At that time, Murdoch uh, Baladin, the son of Beladan, the king of Babylon, boop, that's a mouthful, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. Going to honor Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you've gone through a hard time. We just want to tell you what a great guy you are. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them the house of the Lord, and they all bowed down and gave a prayer of thanks because it was God that delivered them and not Hezekiah. It's not what it says, right? He showed them all of his treasures and his house the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oils, the whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. What does Hezekiah do? He shows them what he claims to be his treasure. Why, why show this treasure? Why not tell of the faithfulness of God? Why not tell of the power of God? Why not say, you know what, B- before we sit down to dinner, let me take you to the temple and let me tell you a story while we walk over and we walk back. You might not believe it, but here's what happened by the hand and the strength and the power of our God. And so I just want to show you our temple and tell you about the true and living God. He had an opportunity to be a witness to the faithfulness of God, and instead he lets it become an ego trip. And here, friends, is where I think, corporately speaking, we need to stop for a moment and realize the danger, the temptation that is at Green Tree Community Church today. When we think about where God has brought us in the last two years, and we think about the, the growth that we've experienced, we think about the impact that God is letting us have in and around our community. It would be very easy for us to get prideful. I get real nervous when I was just, I mentioned I was in Sacramento, but I talked about the heat, but I can't tell you how many of my buddies came up to me from all around the country and said, hey, you know, you know, you've been in your, your building now a year and a half. How's it going? You know, have you grown? You know, everybody says you should grow by 15% or 20%. How you doing? And, I, and it scares me to say, we've almost doubled because I don't want that sin of pride to creep into my life like it so easily could. We need to focus on God more than ever. Yes, we want to keep growing. Yes, we want more people to know the gospel. Yes, we want every service here to be filled with people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not so we can pat ourselves on the back, but so we can give glory to God. And we must resist the temptation of pride. Hezekiah fell flat on his face when he did this. And then we see the passage that we read at the beginning of the service. The other issue that Hezekiah had is kind of two steps forward, one back, is he had a real problem with selfishness. Let's come back to this passage we read at the beginning. So Isaiah sees what Hezekiah has done, and God sees it, and he sends a message to Hezekiah, not just for this particular sin of Hezekiah, but because of the accumulation of sins of all of the kings that, that have come before Hezekiah and the few that are going to come after him until the fall of Jerusalem. God says this, there's going to be an accounting. Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Next slide, please. And some of your own sons will come, who come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And, and we'll stop there for just a minute. So what God is saying to uh, Hezekiah is all these sins of all of these kings and your own pride, your own arrogance, is going to lead to the destruction of Jerusalem. But notice what he says about Hezekiah's family. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this. There are some younger ears in the audience, but you ought to know the process of becoming a eunuch. It, it is a mutilation process. It is a very painful process. It's an awful process that nobody should ever have to go through. And these are going to happen to Hezekiah's sons and Hezekiah's grandsons and his great-grandsons. This is the warning that's coming. These are people that, that are his offspring, And how does he respond? The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Why? For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. (laughs) Well, at least it won't happen to me. That's about as selfish as it gets. Clearly, this king was a man of faith. We've seen that in the earlier portion of the sermon. But he was also a man who struggled greatly with faith and with sins like pride and sins like selfishness just like us. So you, you can stand back from this story and you can say, boy, Hezekiah sure was he kind of didn't didn't end as well as he started. I boy by that point in my life I'd have, I, I wouldn't have said that, right? Or you can put yourself in the story and say, Yep, that's that's just like me. <laughs> I'm just as inclined to forget my God and to care about myself above everybody else. It's just as easy for me To fall into the temptation i believe that's part of the reason why god gives us the story of hezekiah because he wants to show us a man who needs mercy a man who needs grace a man who needs the forgiveness of god a man who yes had a deep and abiding faith at many moments of his life but also was terribly terribly flawed because that's just like you and like me if you if you've never thought that you are flawed in your faith you haven't thought about your faith that seriously so how do we apply this lesson today? How do, how do, we, how do we understand what, what God has for us this morning? Well, clearly, I can't tell you everything God has for us, but let me give you a, a couple of thoughts. The first of all, w- we may not be surrounded by an army this morning. We'll look out our window, and I actually, I see somebody standing on the other side of the parking lot hugging somebody. And there's somebody else hugging somebody. It just looks like a very happy hug fest out there. I don't see... Um, I don't see any Assyrian armies, right? We're not, we're not physically surrounded by, by armies, right? But you might feel surrounded by the enemy this morning. You may feel so discouraged. It's like there's an army surrounding you. But whether you feel that or not this morning, we need to understand that God is intentional about testing his children's faith that God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to be stronger. The way James puts it in the New Testament is this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that, go back. For you know that, thank you, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work that you may be perfect, complete, not lacking in anything there's great parenting right there. What does our heavenly father want for us? He wants us to be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. Um, Kids are getting ready to, young men and women, sorry, I shouldn't say kids, are getting ready to go off to college, right? Uh, Josh, who's who's playing the saxophone for us, this is last Sunday. Josh picked out the music this morning, uh, and we won't hear his saxophone again until Christmas because he's going to the University of Tulsa. I know his parents want him to be not lacking in anything, I know that they've taught him how to how to do some laundry. Oh, his brother's laughing at him, right? Okay. <laughs> they, they've taught him how to handle money. They've taught him how to be disciplined with his time. They've taught him how to be a, a person of kindness. They've taught him how to be a friend. All those things that we want our children to know. You don't want your children walking out your door at 18 and not know how to handle a debit card. That would be a really bad thing, to not know how to be a good roommate to their roommate at college. So, you don't teach them that by giving them everything on a silver platter, right? You make them get up early on Saturday and do their laundry. And you make them sit down with you and you go through the numbers and you show them how to, I know you don't know what a checkbook is if you're under 30, but you show them how to balance the proverbial checkbook, right? You teach them these things. You show them how to, how to cook some meals, even in a microwave, right? And uh, most of the time when they're being taught, at least when I was being taught those things, I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to go have fun, right? But a good parent says, you know what? You'll thank me for this later and we're going to stay with it. The developing of our faith develops perseverance. Why? Because our father wants us to be complete, not lacking. So we need to know that whether we're surrounded by armies or not, that God intentionally tests our faith. Kendrick Lamar, who's a very famous rapper in the United States, you didn't think I knew any rappers. Uh, He also professes Christ as a savior, said this. So the next time you feel like your world's about to end, I hope you've studied because he's testing your faith again. God is going to test our faith. We need to be aware of that. Secondly, we need to understand that all faith this side of heaven is flawed, but don't quit the journey. There are going to be moments when you fail to be faithful to God, but He will never fail in His faithfulness to you. So don't give up. Don't, don't act as if it depended on you. Yes, God wants you to grow in your faith. Yes, he will do those things to help you mature in your faith, but there there will be moments when you blow it. But when you blow it, don't give up. Remember the one who is faithful. Oswald Chambers said this, believe steadfastly on him and everything that challenges you will strengthen your faith. There is continual testing in the life of faith up to the point of our physical death, which is the last great test. Faith is absolute trust in God, trust that could never imagine that he would forsake us. My faith may be flawed, but God wants to grow it. I'm not going to quit the journey. And then lastly, I would say it would be wise for each of us to make a specific list of the areas in our life where we need our faith to grow. Maybe I worry about my money all the time, to the point of sinfulness, but you don't. maybe maybe you're, maybe you're obsessed with with how your kids are going to turn out, and you've made them the idols in your life, and that might be my problem. it may be different. We all have different areas where we struggle in our faith, so what, what may be unique to me may not be unique to you, but we ought to know what they are, and we ought to share them with one another, and we ought to ask for prayer for one another, and we ought to pray for one another in order that as we go along this journey, our faith grows more and more and more, because the question is not, will the test come? Whether it's to you individually, me individually, or collectively to Green Tree, the question is, when the test of faith comes, how will we respond? Will we respond in a way that that allows God to grow the faith in our heart more deeply, or will it be that moment where we take one step back? By His grace, may we be a people of faith. Will you pray with me? Father, we bless your name this morning because you are the faithful one. And as Hezekiah rightly said to the soldiers on the wall, don't be afraid. This battle is in God's hands. Father, I pray for the the folks here this morning that are believers, but that just seems like a fairy tale. It just doesn't seem like like the circumstances of their lives are in your hands because they feel the darkness right now. Father, I pray that you would make us sensitive to one another and that you would use us to care for one another and that uh, maybe we wouldn't leave this morning without putting our arms around somebody and and just checking in on them, seeing how they're doing. But Lord, more importantly, I pray that you would make yourself very real to them this morning. And then Father, for those of us that have just forgotten about faith because maybe life's kind of simple right now. It's summer and we're enjoying a break and there aren't too many struggles. Lord, I pray that you would not let us be caught unaware, that we would not slip into a life that has no faith. And Lord, for those who are here this morning just wondering about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I pray that the story of Hezekiah would show them that God loves broken people. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He did that through his son, the Lord Jesus, and he offers that to you freely. Father, I pray that you would take this message and use it in each one of our hearts as you have determined. We pray in your name. Amen.